0: 30th chapter of Proverbs, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the end of the message, I mentioned these verses, this prayer of Agur. And I was so impressed by this prayer, I thought we're going to take a break from Ecclesiastes anyway. I'm still working on chapter 7. But I thought, you know, we just need to look at that prayer. And so we're going to do that this morning. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7. Agur prays, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. As I said, this is the prayer of Agar. You say, Well, who was he? And my answer is, we really don't know. The Bible does not tell us a lot about this man. Maybe who he was and what he did for a living is unimportant, but what he prayed, and I think it is, is most important. Now the word of God tells us that he was the son of Jacob, but we don't know who he was. We're not told a lot about him in the scripture, but I'm going to make an assumption about this man because of his son and the way his son prayed, this man must have been a godly man. He must have taught his family and his children how to pray and have this relationship with God. And one thing we notice in verses five and six, if you'll just look back there for a moment, the word of God was very special to Agur. He had a love for the word of God. Listen to this, every word of God is pure, And he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar." Agur said, the word of God is pure. You can't add to it, you can't take from it. Not retold that in the book of Revelation at the end of that book, but he said, you don't add to it, you don't take from it. It is the word of God, and if you try to add to it, you're going to be found out to be lying. A lot of people need to hear that today. Verses 7 through 9, we see that he had a relationship with God because he talks about two things that he's required of God. We're going to explain that in just a moment. And then he expresses his prayer. But he has this relationship with God to where he can go to God in prayer and make requests of God. And then he was a man of integrity. You look at verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. He didn't want anything, if I understand these verses, he didn't want anything to ruin his testimony. He was a child of God, he had a relationship with God, and he wanted to live a pure life as a child of God. He wanted to live a life that glorified God. And so in this prayer, he prays out of a desire in verses seven through nine, that he may keep God and money in their proper places in his life. And folks, we ought to do the same thing. Now, there's four simple thoughts to this prayer. And the first one is this. And in this prayer, he gives us an example of the kind of prayer, how, how we should pray, how we could pray, the kind of prayer that has power with God. First of all, I want you to note the simplicity of this prayer. Isn't this a simple prayer? It is just, it's just plain. It's just there. He says, first of all, to God, he said, two things have I required of thee. Now, don't misunderstand that word required. The idea is request. He just comes to God and he said, Lord, I have two things I want to ask you. I have two requests. I beg two favors from you. And see, what he knew was that everything that we have, all of the blessings that we have come from God. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 17, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so he said that God gives us what we have. Whatever you have today, I get amazed at people who say, it's my house, it's my car, it's my money. No, it's God's. He's just letting you use it for a while. Amen. Everything that we have comes from God. But notice also, he only asks two things, not a whole list. You know, sometimes I think if we're not careful. We'll come to God like a child sitting on Santa's lap with an arm list of things that we want. Lord, give me this, Lord, give me this. Lord, do this for me. Lord, help me with this, Lord. And we just keep on piling things on that we want from God. I think sometimes that happens because, and I may be judging by myself, but I, sometimes it's possible that it happens because we delay in praying And we don't pray maybe as often as we ought to. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 55? He said, morning and evening and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. The psalmist said at least three times a day. The word of God says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're to pray without ceasing. We're to be in this constant attitude and approach to God in prayer as we go about our daily life. So he's prayed and he's just going to ask God for two things. And he said, this is all I want. This is all I'm asking right now, but also it's a short prayer. I mean, this is just a few verses right here. Now, you get over the New Testament, and some of Paul's prayers are quite lengthy, but here he has a very short, very simple prayer in these verses that we read here in the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs. You know, one time, in fact, let's just turn over to the book of Matthew for just a moment. Matthew, and Jesus was talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And look at what Jesus said there when thou prayest thou shall not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men verily I say unto you they have their reward but thou when thou prayest enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly verse seven but when ye pray use not vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking he said the hypocrites think if I'll pray a long prayer God will hear that may not hear a short prayer you know one of the shortest prayers I can think of in the word of God was prayed by a thief hanging on a cross Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom just one sentence and what did Jesus say this day thou shalt be with me in paradise one simple sentence one simple prayer and he prayed that way and God answered him or the Lord answered him and guaranteed him that he'd be in paradise that man was saved but the Lord also warns us against using prayer and he does right here in this 5th chapter of Matthew but also in the 18th chapter of Luke warns us against using prayer to elevate ourselves in the sight of others that 18th chapter of Luke he gives the account it's not just a parable it's not just a story I believe it really happened the account of the Pharisee and the publican and you remember what happens there in the 18th chapter of Luke. Two men, he said, went up to pray. One's a Pharisee, one's a publican. And listen to what he says in verse 11. He said, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. This man thinks he's talking to God. He's talking to himself. He's not talking to, he's talking to everybody around him. He's bragging on himself to himself, but he thinks. And Jesus said, he's not talking to God. He's praying within Himself, And look at what he said. This is a prayer of arrogance. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And so he's standing there praying. He's wanting everybody to hear. Y'all look at me. What a wonderful person I am. And he comes before God or thinks he comes before God that way. In the sixth chapter of Proverbs, we're told six things that God hates. And it says, "Yea, seven are abomination. And you know what's number one on the list? Pride. Pride. Agar comes humbly before God. The Pharisee didn't. The publican does, though. What does he do? He's on his knees. He won't even look up. He beats his chest. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The word of God tells us that God resists the proud. We should never pray in pride. We never should pray out of pride. We should always come to God humbly and present our requests before him. Now you look at verse 14 here in Luke 18 and who does Jesus say went home justified after those prayers? The publican went home justified. He was an humble man. He may have been a poor man and he was very humble before God and he just prayed that simple prayer And he went home justified. I heard somebody tell him about a preacher who was praying at a preacher's meeting. And if you've ever been to a preacher's meeting and listened to preachers pray, well, this preacher prayed at a preacher's meeting and somebody said he prayed a three-point sermon with illustrations during that preacher's meeting. We need to avoid sometimes these long, drawn-out prayers and keep it short and simple for the sake of attention and not God's hours. Do you ever get lost in prayer? You start praying, you pray so long and you forgot what you pray about. And so we need to be able to keep it simple and to keep it short. And here's something else about this request that Edgar makes. He says, Lord, deny me them not before I die. You know what he's praying for? He's praying for things of everyday life. He's doing what Jesus said when Jesus said that we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now listen, we need to have concern about spiritual matters. Heaven, lost souls what's going to happen to us when we die and things like that. But we need to pray many times about the practical because we live in a very real, very physical body and we just need to take our request to God. I had a deacon ask me one time, this was a deacon, first church I pastored. And I love this man. He was one of the best deacons I ever had. But he asked me one time, so why do I need to pray? God knows what I need. Well, we don't pray to inform God of anything. Why do we pray then? Why do we make our request to God? Because it strengthens us when we make those requests to God and God answers our prayers. It strengthens and increases our faith as children of God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. What does Philippians 4, 6 say? First of all, it says, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Literally, don't worry about even one thing. Okay? Be careful for nothing, but in what? Everything. Preacher, do you think I ought to pray about this? What does Philippians 4, 6 say? In everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, get this, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So I'm to pray, I'm to pray about everything and in the midst of everything, I am to pray with thanksgiving as I talk to my heavenly father and the word of God would just have us come to God and pray to him. There's the simplicity of this prayer that Agar prayed. But not only was it a simple prayer, it was a sound prayer. What do you mean a sound prayer? What is this, the soundness of what he desired? See, what we need is to be truthful with God and we need to be truthful with ourselves and we need to be truthful with other people, not just in our lives, but in our prayers. Amen. And he's being truthful to God and with God in his prayer. What does he pray? Remove far from me vanity and lies. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Keep my ears from hearing lies, Lord. But he says something else. Keep my lips from speaking lies. See, we need to be careful. I don't know that anybody wants to hear lies. But sometimes they'll slip out of our mouth if we're not careful. Now I want to just jump ahead for a second. We're going to come right back, but verse eight, if you look at verse eight, what he's praying for in verse eight is a certain amount of moderation, OK? Because he, he says there, "Don't give me poverty or riches," and so forth." So he's praying for some moderation. But when he's talking about vanity and lies, there's no moderation in that. He doesn't say, "Lord, keep me mostly honest." He doesn't say, Lord, keep me mostly truthful. He said, Lord, I don't want any lies coming into my ears and I don't want any lies coming out of my mouth. Keep vanity and lies, dishonesty far from me. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be a party to it. Folks, truth matters today. Truth matters today. People today don't know what to believe in the media, do they? I mean, you watch it on TV, you listen to it on the radio and well... They said that, but did it really happen? Does it really happen that way? Does it really mean what they're saying? And so then they have to hire people to tell you what somebody said after they said it. People don't know what to believe. And people don't know who to believe today. Amen. There's a whole lot of things I could mention, but you know, just because somebody, even somebody high up in government, or even some preacher says it, doesn't necessarily mean that it's so. And so we really don't know who to believe. But I'll tell you what, people in this world today ought to be able to believe God's people and God's preachers. Amen. If a man is a preacher called of God to preach the truth, he ought to preach the truth. But if a person is saved and they are people of truth, they ought to share the truth. But I'll tell you this also, there is an absolute truth. You know, people want to say today there's no absolute truth. Just whatever you believe. If you think it's good, you ought to do it. And if you don't think it's good, don't do it. No, there's an absolute truth. And we know that absolute truth. And we have access to that absolute truth. Remember what Pilate asked Jesus one time when Pilate was questioning Jesus. And Pilate asked Jesus this, what is truth? And that's the question today. What is truth? Well, John chapter 17, verse 17 Jesus is praying, this is the actual Lord's prayer that he prayed just before he went to the cross and he prays this, he prays to God, God the Father, he prays, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. If you're holding a Bible in your hands right now, you're holding truth. That is absolute truth. It's not based on whether you and I think, I heard this one time on a program that a young woman had decided to do something that was wrong. And she said, I've decided it's not a sin. Well, bully for you. The word of God says it is. I don't care whether you think it's a sin or not. If the word of God says it's a sin, it's a sin. God's word is truth. God's word is absolute truth. The scripture says we who are saved have the mind of Christ. And we ought to be people of truth, standing for the truth, loving the truth. We don't have to pretend we don't know who and what to believe, folks. We do. Measure every preacher, measure every sermon. I appreciated Brother Kyle last week for filling in, Brother Sean for filling in. I appreciated that, but measure every preacher, every teacher by the Word of God. Someone has called the Bible the divine plumb line. How many know what a plumb line is? Okay, a few do. You want to make sure something's square, something's straight. You hold a plumb line beside it. You measure its straightness by the plumb line. And the Bible is the divine plumb line. Measure every experience, measure every preacher, measure every sermon, every devotional, everything that you read by the word of God. You know what we're doing when we're praying for God to keep us far from vanity and lies? We're praying, first of all, for discernment in what we hear. Discernment in what we... I've already mentioned this, but not every news source is trustworthy, is it? There's some I just won't watch because I know I'm not going to get fed the full story, all right? So not every news source is trustworthy. Not every religious broadcast is true to the Word of God. Between COVID and Facebook, there's a whole lot of religion out there that you can tap into. But not all of it is true to God's word. I said just a moment ago, but I'll say it again, not every preacher delivers the truth. So you know what I'm going to say next. You've got to know the word of God, okay? You've got to know it. So when he says something, some preacher says something, it violates the word of God, it's foreign to the word of God. You can say, aha, I know not to listen to that. And let me give you one other just because it's on Facebook or the internet does not make it true. <laughs> we need to understand that. So we want discernment in what we hear, but we also need discipline in what we share. Be careful what we share. I was watching another church and their Sunday morning service, and the children were singing, and they were singing, oh, be careful, little lies, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. My wife was teaching some children that one time, and she went a step farther. She said to be careful, little nose, what you, you know. (laughs) She just got carried away in eyes, ears, and all of that. But be careful what you see. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what you speak. Discipline in what we share. It dishonors our Lord to pass along something that we know is false. We know it is foreign to the Word of God. We know it is a lie, whether it deals with the Scriptures or just dealing with a person or an incident, and we pass it along. Folks, it affects and damages our testimony. It damages our reliability as people of God to pass along something we know is not true. We need to be truthful. In fact, because I've encountered this, it does not have to be false to be considered gossip. Somebody, well, it's not gossip because this really happened. No. (laughs) True or false doesn't make it gossip or not gossip. Even if it's true, it could be gossip. And 1 Peter 4.15 says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer and as a busybody in other men's matters. By the way, be careful. Sometimes we can call them prayer requests and really just be passing along gossip Well, preacher, I just want to tell you this so you can pray about it. Well, why aren't you praying about it then? I had a woman in one church I pastored. She called me with all the gossip. And I got tired of it. So one Sunday morning, I stood up in the pulpit. And this has been my policy from that day forward. Somebody calls me with gossip. The very next service, I will stand in the pulpit and I will tell the gossip. And I will tell who told me the gossip. We get it straightened out in a hurry, folks. You get the idea, I don't want to hear gossip. And just because it's true, doesn't mean that it is not gossip. So there's the soundness. He just prays, he said, Lord, I want, I want truth. I want something I can believe, and, and I want vanity and lies put away from me. Then there's the satisfaction of it. Now, up to this point, we could probably all say amen to what Agar has prayed, right? Now, this next one gets a little bit difficult for some folks. Not as inviting. He's praying for moderation. Okay, and what does he pray? Verse 8, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lord, I don't need to be wealthy. Lord, I don't want to be poor. Convenient food. Food that is convenient for me is just food that is necessary. The food that I need to perform my duty. Lord, Give me enough money, if that's what you're praying for, to do what I need to do, to sustain my life, to take care of the bills. If it's food, Lord, just give me enough food to keep me from being hungry, you know, pray for your daily bread. But he said, just give me this food that's convenient for me, neither poverty nor riches. He's praying for his daily needs. A thousand years before Jesus said that we ought to pray for our daily bread, he's praying for his daily bread. And that doesn't seem to be on the checklist of most people in the 21st century, does it? Just say, praying, Lord, don't make me rich, don't make me poor. Well, maybe the don't make me poor part is. But the American ideal is bigger is better. And so I've got to have something bigger so I can be better. And this world that we live in seeks to gain more and want more. And it just says, I don't have enough no matter what God gives me. Let me give you an example. In 2018, in 2018, There were 60,000 self-storage units in America. 60,000 self-storage units where people could take all the junk they don't want to keep in the house and store it somewhere else off the property. That's more than all of the McDonald's, Wendy's, Starbucks, and Dunkin' Donuts put together. 60,000. Almost $5 billion was spent in the construction of new facilities so that people would have a place to store the stuff they didn't want. Boy, I'm sure glad we have a garage. Anybody who helped us move several years ago knows I'm glad I have a garage. I don't have to pay for it. I paid for a storage unit for a few years. So now it's in the garage. And we can walk by and pretend it's not there. But all the stuff that we don't want and all of this stuff that we don't use. But that... billion that was spent is a 27% increase compared to 2017. It is a 10-year increase of 344% and a 20-year increase of 444%. We have clothes we don't wear. We have things we don't use, things we don't need, but we're going to hang on to them because bigger is better. You have more, it's better. And experts predict that construction will continue to increase. You go down this way, well, I'm sorry, go down this way starting home. Look to your left at the stoplight. You know what the building? Storage units, (laughs) okay? It's increasing because we just want to hang on to what we have. Well, this prayer of Agar is just Lord give me what I need. Don't always give me what I want. He's just, one preacher said he's praying for the grace to live in what he calls the sweet spot. And isn't that a great place to, just, well, well, what are you talking about the sweet spot? The perfect mixture of getting what you need, needing what you get, and being satisfied with it. That's the sweet spot. He sums it up with the idea of this. Give me only my daily bread, no more, no less. And I'm going to tell you that, You know what that does? That puts you on an entirely deeper level of trust and faith in God. God, give me my needs. God, take care of me today. That's that's all I'm concerned with is taking care of me today. What did Jesus say about worry and things like that? He said in Matthew 6, verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll get here, and it'll get here with things to worry about. So don't borrow from tomorrow and add to the load today. And so there is the satisfaction of his prayer. He just said, Lord, I'm going to be satisfied with what you give me, and you know what I need. And finally, there's the sincerity of it, because you look at what he says there. Now, again, we're supposed to be honest with God in prayer And he says, feed me with food convenient for me. Why? Lest I be full and deny thee and say who is the Lord or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Here's why I call it the sincerity, the honesty of it. Agar knew his weaknesses. He knew his weaknesses. Lord, you give me too much. I might think I did it myself. I might be like that rich fool that Jesus talked about there in the book of Luke who said, you've done well. Your barns are full. Your barns, you're going to have to tear down your barns and build bigger barns. And then for many years, I'm just going to sit back and say, take your ease. Basically, eat, drink and be merry. He said, I have that potential. You know, there's some people that can stand anything except to have money. Money would ruin them. Money would destroy them and their relationship and their fellowship with God and would destroy their testimony. And so God just keeps back money from them. But he also knew this. Now, Lord, if I was too poor, I might be tempted to take something that's not mine. And as bad as the other is, if I go around stealing and I get this reputation of being a thief, Lord, it's not going to just affect me. It's going to affect my witness and my testimony of you. And Lord, I don't want that. And so here is Agar. He's just he's praying this way. He's afraid that the glitter of gold is going to cloud his vision, that he can't see the glory of God. He's afraid that poverty is going to affect him and so that he would forsake God in order to get financial gain. Now, the poverty part probably makes sense to us, doesn't it? Most of us would pray not to be poor, Right? But we, you know, we wouldn't pray, Lord, don't give me money. (laughs) We're going to pray for financial blessings. But listen, riches can turn people from God. I've been pastoring long enough. I've seen this happen. Some people get a better job, a new job, get more money. And so they'll go out and buy a new camper, buy a new boat, buy an RV, something like that and you rarely ever see them at church again. What happened? They got their eyes off God, and they got their eyes on things. Agar didn't want to discard the valuable things of life that don't last. He wanted to hang on to the valuable things, and that's the things of God. Now, I'm gonna say this. Just looking around, I don't see anybody that fits the biblical definition of being in poverty today. Because you know what the biblical definition of poverty is? Not having food and not having clothing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Having food and clothing, let us therefore be content, or therewith be content. So I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't have clothing and doesn't have food this morning. So we are not poverty bound. But that's one thing Eager didn't want. He didn't want to destroy his witness of God. He had such great love for God. He didn't want to forget God. And he didn't want to dishonor God. You know, we ought to have that kind of love for our Heavenly Father. Life's more than money. God's glory is the greatest concern of the life of a child of God. At least it ought to be. We're reminded over and over again in the Word of God about the glory of God and how that we are to live to God's glory. Let me give you three verses quickly. Psalm 96 verse 8, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. I always like to ask how much glory is due to the name of God and the answer is the only answer is all glory. And so I ask what's all mean? Okay. <laughs> Every bit Give God the glory that he deserves. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Live to the glory of God. And then, my favorite of all time, Ephesians 3.21, Unto him, unto God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Folks, God's to get glory from this church. So here's what Edgar's praying. Lord, keep me dependent on you. Just keep me dependent upon you. Cause me to live where I have to trust in you. Cause me to rightfully live and realize that I cannot rightfully live without you. And I'm going to tell you what, it takes some courage to pray that way. It takes some courage and some faith in God to pray, Lord, only give me what I need to live for you. Well, I can assure you that living in total dependence upon God every day is going to do something for you. First thing it's going to do, it's going to keep you in close contact with God. If you just live day to day and totally dependent upon God, you're going to stay in close contact with him. He is your life source. He is the one who's providing for you. You're going to stay close to him, but it will keep your prayer life consistent I mean, if you're depending on God, praying every day for God to take care of you for that day, are you going to skip a day? Are you going to forget a day? No, keep your prayer life consistent, and it will keep your prayer life passionate because you're depending upon God. We're going to wrap things up. The main thing that Agar's prayer reveals about him is that he considered his relationship with God to be the most important thing in his life, and it is for us. He didn't want, I said, riches or poverty, either one, to ruin that relationship. He didn't want poverty to make him disobey God or riches to make him forget God. His concern was not for himself. We live in a me first world. Everything's supposed to be about me, me, me. Well, for a child of God, everything's supposed to be about God. He must be first. Some say that the church at Laodicea is typical of this age that we live in. You know, familiar with the church at Laodicea, third chapter of Revelation. What was their assessment of themselves? I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And I think never before in the history of the Lord's churches have we had so much as we have today. We have comfortable buildings to worship in. You know, in the first century, they worshiped in homes or down by the riverside or wherever they could find a place. We've got comfortable buildings with running hot and cold air when we need it. So God's given us that. We've got all of this electronic equipment and the media by which to get the Word of God out into the world, but are we doing it? You know. Oh, we've got live stream preacher. Have you ever looked at the live stream and how many views it gets each week? Share it with others, encourage others to watch the live stream. We just have so much. The church at Laodicea had so much. We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But how did the Lord view them? They are wretched and poor and miserable and naked and blind. See, sometimes our view differs from the Lord's view. I've said before, I'm afraid in our day that our affluence as the Lord's churches has affected our influence as the Lord's churches. And so we're just comfortable sitting and and just enjoying a worship service. The 20th verse of that third chapter of Revelation, I always like to point this out. 20th verse of that third chapter of Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Think about that. Maybe you've seen the painting of Jesus standing outside a door, knocking on the door. If you look closely, there is no handle on the outside of that door. It has to be open from the inside. And here's Jesus outside of his church knocking, asking entrance into his church. And folks, that's where we are today. I stand at the door and knock, he says. The only way and I'm going to close with this thought: The only way to escape this world and its influence is to give ourselves, first of all, over completely to God, and that to give him God full reign in our lives. Amen. Folks, that's what Agar prayed for. He didn't pray, "Lord, make me a I mean, these days I'd be happy to be a thousandaire, you know? He didn't say, "Lord, make me a millionaire." He didn't say, Lord, I want to live a, a life where I just live from not having enough where I learn to abase myself. He said, Lord, just, just give me what you know that I need day in and day out. And that will be sufficient because your glory above anything and everything else is supreme. Now, I'm going to give you an opinion. You can agree or disagree, but I think what has happened to the Lord's churches today is that we want to be respected by the world. If you will read the history of the Lord's Churches, folks, we have never been respected by the world. We have never had the world say, hey, y'all got something we want. You know, let us come. No. The world says, well, you narrow-minded, ignorant people. So we've never been respected by the world. But I think so many of the Lord's Churches, they want this respect of the world. And so we soften the truth. We soften the word of God. We back off of it. We get a few more in. And I would love to see a few more in. But I'll guarantee you this. And pardon my grammar. But we ain't going to sacrifice the truth to do it. We're going to preach the word of God.